1: Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career and candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. And I just want to take a moment to say, as I was watching the intro, for those of you that are listening, we have had some fantastic guests on this show. And we will continue to bring you great guests just like today. So today on the show, I'd love to welcome Dr. Mia Russell, co-author of Fired Up, a guide to transforming your team from burnout to engagement. She's also a teacher at Johns Hopkins University. Mia empowers people to take action and realize their goals through education and research. So a great big welcome to Mia today. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me today.
1: This is so exciting. And, you know, I just want to give you a quick shout out and say thank you for your patience and your flexibility. We had to reschedule our podcast recording and um, you did that with grace. And so thank you so much for that.
0: No, thank you. I'm happy to, yes. Life happens, right? And we must adapt.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, and we were just talking about that, about, you know, really thinking about what, is truly important to us versus what we can drop and it'll still be okay. And those was that was one of those instances where it was something that was truly fragile. It was something that was truly, you know, something that I couldn't let drop. And, and I feel that way about the podcast, but at the same time, sometimes, you know, and, and I'll just be completely transparent with people. It was a family emergency that caused the cancellation. So, but sometimes, you know, The family has to come first. Yes, definitely. And and I think that'll lead into really kind of what we were talking, what we're going to be talking about today as far as burnout. But first, um, I mentioned you were a co author of the book Fired Up. And so I want to give you a moment to give a shout out to your other co author.
0: Yes, uh, I have co authored this book with uh, Dr. Gervin Leggins. He's also a lecturer at Johns Hopkins. um, And he's a has a lot of expertise. Uh, He's an expert in policy analysis. So uh, we, uh, our uh, kind of two different perspectives really complemented one another in the creation of this book. Long, um, really long overdue. We talked about it for years um, and uh, finally made it happen during the pandemic.
1: So, well, that's interesting that you say that. So you say your two different perspectives complement each other. So tell me, you know, you said his is more on the policy, right? Yes. What is your perspective?
0: So I have a, um, I guess, let me answer that a different way. We met in graduate school and um, I I have always cared more and wanted to study more kind of individual perspectives and outcomes. And he really has a strong interest and expertise around the organizational aspect. I think these two perspectives helped us come up with this framework that we call OJP, Organization, Job and Personal Framework, uh, which in essence uh, helps leaders look at uh, kind of phenomena, specifically in our context, burnout, to understand how uh, these different layers work together, right? We've offered some interconnected principles and we like to, uh, you know, we put together this framework to help people understand that when we're talking about really complex issues, something like burnout, um, that kind of manifests in many ways, there's not one thing that you can do. You have to take a multi-layered or multifaceted multi-faceted approach. So that's an example of how our perspectives, really interests, and expertise came together um, in this book.
1: That, that is fascinating. And I'm going to ask you a question based on the conversation that we had before the podcast. But first, tell me a little bit about you. You mentioned you met him in graduate school, but let, just kind of walk us through your education and your career and just all that you do.
0: Sure. So I think, um, certainly you introduced me as a lecturer at Johns Hopkins um, University. Um, But I think if, when I think about my career and personal life, I'm really a family and consumer sciences professional. And really what that means is the field of family and consumer sciences um, is, is focused on improving the quality of life of others, right? And so in all that I have ever done, it's really been with, Uh, That in mind, I didn't really know the words earlier in my career, Um, but all of the types of work roles, kind of positions um, that I uh, play in life really are centered around helping people uh, be their best selves and find and kind of maintain that ideal quality of life.
1: Well, I think that's really important and I think that's something that's really bubbled up over the last couple of years as we've worked our way through a pandemic is that I think people have gotten to the point now where they are recognizing how important the quality of life is. And I don't think that they are, you know, putting up with being driven to the point of burnout like they were prior to the pandemic. Would you agree with that?
0: I don't know. Um, I mean uh, burnout is not new, right? Right. And, um, burnout really was conceptualized in the late seventies, but we had a significant prevalence of burnout pre pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic amplified things for us, but, um, I, I, I think it amplified it, but it also allowed people to kind of reimagine, reconceptualize the relationship that they want to have with work. Right, maybe what they're willing to do, uh, different directions that they might be willing to go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that's my perspective on that.
1: Well, and and I think we're not far off because I know like with me, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, and and I work a corporate job, and I was always the one that I was like, all right, I have to be there at eight thirty, I have to be there until five o'clock or five thirty, or they're not going to think I'm doing my work and not take lunches and all this kind of stuff, and. As we moved through the pandemic, I started giving myself more grace and started realizing those were really my own constructs that I was putting on myself and not necessarily what the company was demanding of me. And so, um, you know, for example, like if I can't get in until Mm 9.15, I don't stress about it because I'm still getting work done. I'm on the phone. I'm making calls. I'm just not, you know, butt in seat at my desk. And I think that that's some of the changes I'm referring to that people have recognized out through the pandemic, but you're the expert, so so talk to me a little bit, define what burn it, burnout is and what it looks like when an employee is suffering from burnout.
0: Okay, I'll do that. And um, I, I wanna also, we're let's revisit that last question because this might be really where quiet quitting is living, mm. right, this idea of quiet quitting. So it might be helpful for us to revisit that. Absolutely. But, Let's talk about what um, I often find it helpful. And really this comes from um, my co-author, right? He, uh, he often likes comparison. He thinks that it helps people crystallize things. And so if we think about what burnout is not first, let's, let's go over that and then let's talk about what it is, right? So burnout is simply um, not, not just in one's head or something that they can easily shake off. It isn't just emotional or physical drain or exhaustion. Um, it's not due to a resiliency deficit. Um, it also isn't just simply feelings of anxiety, overwhelm, or frustration, fatigue, depression, or anger. But all of these, especially kind of all of these taken together, can definitely be symptoms of burnout. So as we were just talking about, uh, burnout was, you know, has was initially conceptualized in the late 70s. I uh, want to say 1974 or 75 really as a social construct and really around, um, uh, in helping professions. Uh, Those people, like think about social workers that were, um, you know, uh, were emotionally drained from work. But in 2019, pre-pandemic, the World Health Organization actually classified burnout as a workplace phenomenon or workplace condition. Um, and of course, they have interjected themselves in this conversation because while burnout is not an illness or disease, it can cause them, right? Mm. So burnout, again, is a workplace phenomenon that is that progressively builds. So it isn't just this one day something happens, but it is this kind of slow draw, slow burn, right? It builds, it starts with exhaustion and it builds from there. If we think about a snowball effect. Um, then after people are excess, you know, are experiencing excessive stress and strain, they begin to uh, become more cynical. They begin to feel, uh, what we call academically, I guess it's, uh, professional inefficacy, right? This sense of accomplishment at work or confidence about uh, the meaning in their work. Like, should I even be doing this thing? Do I matter? Does this work matter? And those three things, exhaustion, uh, cynicism, and professional inefficacy really are the are kind of the three aspects or the three factors of burnout. Um, so I, so what it isn't, right? What burnout isn't, uh, what it is, um, and then the signs and symptoms might also be ha- helpful, right? So I talked to you about um, kind of, it's not all of these things, right? Just mm-hmm. exhaustion, just overwhelm, um, just frustration, and that the WHO cares because of the symptoms. So we have uh, things like uh, with, with increased work stress, we also see uh, an li- increased likelihood for stroke. We see an increased likelihood for other medical ailments like high blood pressure, diabetes, right? Yeah. So these are the reasons why we even care.
1: I, I think that's amazing, and I'm surprised that I don't have high blood pressure. Do you do you tend to think, and this is just a complete side note, do you tend to think that, we talk about the type A personalities. Do you think type A personalities are the ones that experience burnout more, or is that just a stereotype?
0: So I have seen some research about the big five personality types, but they don't really look at that type A or not. Um, there are... Uh, so I don't know if it is a specific to type A personalities, but I I would imagine that there will be some correlation. The thing that I can say definitively though, is that burnout is all around us, right? It's all in some sense ubiquitous. It doesn't matter what discipline you're in, what field, what role, or even what country you work. Burnout is a global issue, right? That costs Organizations globally three hundred billion dollars um, just in in productivity lost to burnout. When wow. we add depression and anxiety, it tops one trillion dollars. And we could see how the burnout, depression and anxiety can kind of fit together or how it might show up differently. But it's a major expense for organizations and that we are all feeling it.
1: That is so interesting. I you know. I think I didn't realize that there was so much money lost due to burnout. I mean, you know, you hear about it, but to really understand that it is a thing, a global phenomenon, it's it's quite alarming, actually. So, what are the top reasons for burnout in an organization?
0: Well, we see that. Um... Burnout, you know, when we say top reasons, let's, let me mm-hmm. just talk about a few, right? Okay. <laughs> because there are many uh, reasons, right? If we walk through this, how do people become exhausted, right? It's not having the resources at work, um, having excessive uh, or chronic work stress. Uh, how might people uh, develop feelings of cynicism, right? It's, it could be that Uh, They don't feel cared for. Uh, They are, uh, others may have callous attitudes towards them, right? Um, They are, have lost autonomy, right? They don't really find meaning or purpose in their work. And then certainly uh, professional inefficacy can, might not necessarily be related to uh, a lack of performance, but it's these perceptions of lack of performance. The other things that are really important or kind of strong predictors of burnout are being tired before you even start working, right? Like that is something that we have consistently seen in the, in the uh, research, that when people say that they're tired even before they start, that is a good kind of a good sign of burnout, but also loss of control um, and, and uh, a limited or no autonomy in their work. When people don't have uh, control to do their work in the way that really best suits them, especially as you know we kind of started talking about work-life balance, work-life integration in some ways, um, when they don't have that, it can can really spur this thing called burnout.
1: I I really, okay. So I I think that like everything you're saying, I'm like, I should be burnt out, you know, (laughs) but I I really don't think I am. And I think that there's can be a difference between those people that take too much on, which cause some of those symptoms. And so really being able to recognize the nuances between, you know, is it your work that's causing it or is it yourself that's causing it? Mm -hmm. Because in my case, I know, the reason I'm exhausted is because I, because <laughs> I me, because I can't say no, I need better boundaries.
0: Yeah. yeah and so that's um, right. Boundary setting is one of the ways that we can uh, try to burnout proof our lives. But really one reason Gerben and I wrote this book was because much of the popular press and, and the kind of academic literature talks about burnout as an individual problem. So oh, as you oh, oh. say this.
1: I'm so glad you're going there because that was the question from our prior conversation that I wanted to ask you about. Cause I was like, I want to tackle it from this side. And you're like, but that's not what our book's about. So oh, please yes. continue. Okay,
0: yeah. So um, we were challenged because if burnout is a workplace condition, and most of the things that happen in the workplace are outside of an employee's control, how could it be the employee's fault or problem that they are experiencing burnout, right? And so that is really our thesis statement, right? If if this is the approach, we don't necessarily agree. And there's tons of research that suggests that burnout is an organizational problem, not an individual problem. And so that's how we frame this book, right? We really believe leaders, managers, and organizations have levers that they can manipulate, pull, Mm -hmm. address, that can change the culture. We know organiz- right? Ch- they can change the culture, they can change the resources and the, the demands, uh, offer more organizational support. All of the things that would really make for a more positive, thriving, and flourishing work environment for all employees.
1: So let's say that a company is completely oblivious to that their employees are facing burnout. What are some of the consequences of burnout?
0: Well, um, maybe it's not enough that your employees would have health issues. Maybe it is, <laughs> perhaps it is uh, that they may uh, have uncaring callous attitudes towards others. Maybe it's that their performance and producti- productivity fails. Perhaps it is the um, presenteeism and absenteeism that they often um, uh experience right so now there are all of these days off that they're taken that certainly create breakdowns in organizational practices or programs or services um we know that the performance and productivity as well as things that we really want organizational commitment and engagement all suffer so i think that th- your question is what are the casualties of burnout mm-hmm. And the casualties to organizations, if the three hundred billion dollars isn't enough, globally, right? Globally, I think thinking about the actual costs. um, Some research suggests that burnout costs organizations thirty-four percent of an employee's salary. That twenty to fifty percent of uh, turnover can be attributed to burnover, Mm burnover, to burnout. (laughs) (laughs) So. for those reasons alone, right, and these are just the reasons that are on the top of my head. But there's tons of research that shows you don't when pl- employees are experiencing burnout, they just simply don't bring their best selves to work, and we know that we want their best self, right? We want their best self. Yes.
1: You just reminded me, company I used to work at, there was an employee there. And she was always so stressed. And she would get so stressed because we were in cells, right, um, that she would make herself sick, like literally sick. And she finally had a talk with HR, and they were like, you've been absent like 26% of the time. And And it was a very obviously tolerant company, right? They're letting her miss that many days mm-hmm. and not really saying anything. But it kind of got to the point where she was – like, out of the office more than she was in the office, and, but still billing, right? still hitting her numbers and stuff like that. And the company never really said anything to her about it, but she had all this, you know, she felt like the company wanted her to do more and more and more and more, even though she felt like that wasn't communicated to her. So you talk about those levers. And I'm just wondering if in this particular case, if it wouldn't have been beneficial for them to have that conversation with her to say ahead of time when she started missing, saying, why are you missing? And for her to say, well, you're putting so much pressure on me. And it obviously would not have been this simple of a conversation, but for them to say, but we're not, you, you are putting this pressure on yourself. And then everybody goes, ah, is, is that, am I understanding that correctly where the organization plays a role? I, yes, I
0: would, I definitely, uh, I don't think it would ever be that simple, but I think like in, <laughs> in principle, right? Right. Um, the, the key though, is to have relationships really built like high quality relationships, built on trust and respect where you could actually feel comfortable having that type of conversation. Uh, That is not an easy thing when in some ways, we still think about um, caring for ourselves or talking about caring for ourselves as taboo. And if many organizations continue to think of it that way, it, it, it just creates another obstacle for this vulnerability that employees need.
1: So let's say that I have my own company, I've identified that there's burnout. What's a plan that I can put in place to kind of fix the problem and, you know, turn it the other direction?
0: Sure. Um, So really that is the meat of our book, where we uh, walk, where we walk people through this process of, so I think that my uh, some people on my team and my organization are experiencing burnout, what should I do? And so we offer, uh, from the same uh, lens that I started talking about, this organizational job personal framework, we, we walk people through this process to assess, uh, acknowledge, and build an action plan, right? So I love alliterations. I'm sure I'll get to say them again, but assess, acknowledge, and act. And really this assessment is about identifying those things that are helping the work environment, those things that are helping people, those things that are advancing your mission and overall performance, right? Your organizational success. Uh, We also, when we think about those helpers, I mean, contrarily, we also have hindrances. And those are the things that we need to either stall or put a, a quick stop to. And then there are other things that we like to call warning signs. And these warning signs, really, you could think about them as um, factors that depending on what else is happening, whether internally or externally, they may need to be addressed. But right now, you just need to have a, uh, let's call it a monitoring system so mm-hmm. that you keep an eye on them. What I think is really critical between the with the helpers and hindrances is that with helpers, we often, um, We often say, okay, we're doing that great, you know, fantastic, we'll keep along with this, keep chugging down this path. And we spend a lot of time trying to address those things that we might call broken or where there are voids. But we also know that there is, uh, we get a more significant impact when we uh, take positive steps, right? So yes, our helpers are working, but we might need to try to figure out how we can do more, better, faster in that area and that's been turned all of our attention, attention to these things that aren't working. Um, so that's the first step, assessing the work fact, the workplace factors and conditions. Then we acknowledge uh, things, you know, our, our direct span of control that helps us to determine what we can do, what we um, can do, ma- what decisions we can make, uh, where we might be able to exert some influence. We also need to think about some of our current realities, right? Internal and external. So today, we can't just have a conversation about recruitment without um, thinking about who wants to work in an office, right? Mm -hmm. Like the COVID-19 pandemic has had an influence and it is not uh, as if we can just try to turn the page, right? We need to make sure we continue to think about what does this mean? How do these things happening in our environment, right? Our current realities. How do they affect um, our team and how we're gonna move forward? And really taking these pieces together, right? Those things that are working, those that are not, um, and focusing on that which we have a kind of control over. Uh, We offer dozens upon dozens. (laughs) This was a labor of love, how many dozens of strategies (laughs) that we had. Um, So we offer, I don't know, literally, Uh, a couple hundred strategies that you can employ depending on kind of what those helpers and hindrances are. Luckily, we've had the opportunity to do some research across all industries, right? And so while we don't think that these strategies are necessarily a panacea, right? We do know that it is helpful sometimes to borrow things that work from others, right? It might not be, it may not work in a, uh, HR firm, right? Or it may not work in an education setting, but it may, or there might be some little tweaks that you can do. And so this is a three-step process that we offer uh, to really uh, help a leader uh, kind of transform their team and organization from burnout to engagement. Really, the, the good news about burnout is that the kind of three elements of burnout are really related to the three elements of engagement. And so when we think about them, we're talking about energy, involvement, and efficacy. The same energy that a person brings into the workplace and the work environment can either be fueled and turn into vigor, right, this this zest and zeal to work, or it can drain them and leave them exhausted. The same level of involvement they bring in can help them kind of get wrapped up in their work, right? Can reinforce dedication and absorption, or it can lead to cynicism. And in the same way, efficacy, right? This confidence that we bring, thinking about our meaning about our work, a purpose, we can either feel like we are making a difference or we're not. And so this is what what we mean when we talk about that, they're the same levers, right? They're the same types of strategies, but depending on how they play out, One can foster burnout and yet uh, in another way can foster or facilitate engagement.
1: That is really good. And so I I wanna ask you, if you are in the beginning stages of burnout, what advice would you give to someone to help them alleviate the stress and anxiety that is going to just fuel further fuel that burnout?
0: I think the first thing uh, to recommend uh, in, in terms of uh, addressing burnout, is really talking about it, and um, you know, in, in the same way that we talked about this semi-taboo around uh, self-care or burnout or how we're feeling, um, establishing high-quality relationships with those that you work with, uh, where you can be honest and transparent and vulnerable, are, is really important, and we know that that does help our uh, our mental health. Other things that we can do are, uh, as you mentioned earlier, create boundaries, right? Boundary setting helps to provide, um, you know, uh, helps us manage and balance our lives, right? Setting boundaries is um, just a a critical step. There's also this idea of really figuring out what work-life balance or work-life integration means to you. can work better fit your life, right? And what are the things that you can do to make it more seamless? And finally, it's self-care strategies. And so we know that self-care strategies help boost personal resources. Um, They give you, they kind of fill the gap uh, in terms of resilience because job demands and job stressors will always come. Um, That's what work is, right? Work is a demand in, in, in many different ways. But if we are kind of fueled in the right way, right, proactively, when one of those demands or th- when those demands uh, 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 hit us, we're not shaken, right. We have the uh, we we are more of a, a fortress, right, and we can handle it when it when it comes. So those three things, I guess four, right, really talking about how you feel. Uh, We think that our book helps to give language to uh, some of the challenges, right? If you're only talking about them in in ways that others will understand, if you're talking about the financial risks or costs of burnout or how common it is across industries, right? Whatever it is, right? Having a relationship where you can talk about it, establishing your work-life balance integration, kind of the rules of the road for you. Uh, boundary setting or setting those guardrails on that on that road and then really um, kind of being taking up being more preemptive or protective with self-care strategies i think those would be the four steps that i'd offer
1: I, and and i think i'm gonna have to start with all of those um one thing that one of our guests said a couple of episodes ago Um, that I thought was really interesting is he quit calling it self-care and he called it Mm self-optimization. And I really like that, you know, because he's like, when you say self-care, it just sounds like you're taking care of yourself. But if you say self-optimization, it sounds like you're making yourself better for others. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: I like that. And I've also been reading a lot about how self-care has more of an individual approach versus collective, but I think it's also about from an organizational perspective or from for leaders and managers that we have more of a collective culture of self-care where we care about one another, we care about ourselves and one another, and we hold each other accountable for taking, for example, taking time off, encouraging people to take time off. Some organizations uh, still today Give you a bonus for not taking all your PTO. Like that is not necessarily the best approach if we want people to uh, take time off to recover and recharge.
1: You know, that is, we could go on a whole nother tangent on that topic. So, wow, this has been really good. And I love that you have kind of clarified, you know, burnout as it is to you and, you know, shared with our audience such. Great tips for taking care of yourself, and for especially for companies for recognizing this and not letting it wreck your organization because it can be fixed, it can be you know reversed and and caught. So I hope everybody's going to go out there, grab your book. Um, I, the name of the book again is Fired Up: A Guide to Transforming Your Team from Burnout. To engagement, and I would highly encourage everybody to reach out to Mia because I had a fantastic conversation with her, both on the podcast and in a pre-podcast call. That it, it just was—it it made me look at everything a different way. And I love it when people challenge my, you know, thinking on a certain topic. So now, though, I'm going to challenge you with some out-of-the-box questions. Are you ready for our VIP questions? Yes, I am. Awesome. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you?
0: Yes. So I like alliterations, right? So I've got my three C's, kind of. So coffee, because I've got to stay awake. Um, Cameron, who's my daughter, because she's my other adventurer. (laughs) And um, my camera. But really, I'm cheating on this because it's like a camera phone, a.k.a. iPhone. So I have a flashlight recorder, uh, camera, and, um, I know I won't be able to make calls, but just in case I could.
1: There you go. <laughs> and, and don't forget, I mean, you'll have all your books and all that kind of stuff if you take your phone, right? Yes.
0: Yes. I'd have almost, I mean, I'd have everything. i you know, almost everything.
1: Absolutely. Smart choice, in my opinion, my humble opinion.
0: And, and I, I must say though, that I have to assume it's safe for us to live on Mars, that there's already food sources and all of that, right? But who knows? You know, at least coffee can hold me over until the next round and someone (laughs) brings
1: food. Awesome. So, what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success?
0: I exercise and laugh. And, um, Actually, I have a trainer that is pretty funny, and I don't think he means to be. But I encourage him; he should, uh, he should do some stand up. But he makes us laugh during the works workouts, and uh, I didn't realize how wonderful that was. Um, but I found I stumbled across a journal article that talked about cardio and laughter, and kind of the ben- the 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 multiplier effect of those benefits on your day. So I told my trainer he's been doing something well, good, that he didn't even know.
1: That is so... Have you ever heard of a laughter coach?
0: No, but I think I would love that. What is this?
1: There, it's literally a certification for laughter. And what's so amazing is that you're... And you probably know this, but like if you laugh for real or you laugh for fake, your brain doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And it still releases the same endorphins. And that's what laughter coaches use. They call it laughter yoga. And I
0: have heard of that. Okay,
1: I've heard of that. Yeah. And so I had a certified laughter coach come in and do a lunch and learn with my team. And I'm telling you, it was the best team building event ever. That is interesting. I I read
0: dad jokes. I have this like dad joke book that I keep on my desk. So I read those (laughs) throughout
1: the day. But those are so bad. Okay, my final question for you. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be?
0: The Adventurer. Oh. I, uh, I try to lean into life and uh, I know that uh, it is, we do not know the day nor the time. And so for however long I am here, I really just try to have fun, see new things, be kind to one another, to others and, um, you know, live the best life I can. So. I, I thought hard about that when I, I went, so I think the adventurer.
1: I think that is a perfect title for you. How do people get in touch with you?
0: So, um, our website is thinkfiredup.com. Um, please, anyone feel free to connect with me uh, on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm Mia Baytop Russell and, mm-hmm. uh, my email address is, can you put it in your show notes or should I give it?
1: You can okay. give it and we'll put it in the show notes.
0: Sure. My email address is miabrussell at gmail.com.
1: Easy. Yes. Well, Mia, you've been fantastic and I'm so grateful. I believe that we were introduced by Finn Partners. Is that correct? Yes. Man, yes. they have sent me some great authors. They are such a great representation for you guys. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation once again. And I just have one last thing to say to you. You are a VIP. Thank you.